0: Hey, I think I'm having a heart attack.
1: Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller.
0: Well, that's the opening line in Michael Hyatt's new book, Read a Focus. I think I'm having a heart attack. So I asked Michael, I said, I want to ask you some questions about that experience because it deals with this ongoing challenge of overwork. Now, I've been a victim of that. I've been pretty open. The last year has been one of recovering health for me because I was a victim of my own message. I love my work. Why would I need a break? I love what I do. So I asked Michael, I said, hey, I want to sit down with you and ask you some questions about the book, but help us unpack this phenomenon that we all deal with. So here's my conversation with Michael. Well, Michael, in your book, Free to Focus, the very first line is, I think I'm having a heart attack.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, it was about the year 2000. I was working at Thomas Nelson Publishers. I had been given responsibility for a division that was the worst performing division in the company. It was number 14 out of 14 divisions on every metric. And so uh, the CEO said, how long is it going to take you to turn this around? And And I told him, just picking a number out of the air, I said about three years. Well, I was able to do it in 18 months. We went from number 14 to number one in 18 months, but at considerable cost. I ended up in the emergency room three different times thinking I was having a heart attack Finally, on the last visit, the guy said, you've got to see a cardiologist and and wrestle this to the ground. So I did. So I went to Dr. John Cage here in Nashville. He ran me through a nuclear stress test. And he said, hey, good news, your heart's fine. But what is going on in your life? He said, obviously, you're under enormous stress. And he said, if you don't get this figured out and make some lifestyle changes, the next time you're in the ER, I may or may not be able to help you. So we got to get this figured out. So that was my wake up call. Wow.
0: Well, as you and I both know, you know we, we tend in our culture to brag about being busy. I mean, it, we do. It's a badge of honor to be so busy, everybody pulling at you, demanding your time.
1: Yeah, we have these people that are out there promoting uh, what I call the hustle fallacy. Oh, my. And that's where Absolutely. you win at work at the expense of the rest of your life. And what I'm after, and part of what I talk about in the book is, is an ideal I call the double win, where you win at work and succeed at life. And, and what that looks like is for me last year, Dan, my business grew 62%, but I I took 160 days off. That includes every weekend, 11 weeks of vacation, including a four-week sabbatical. So you really can achieve more by doing less, and I'm helping my clients do the same thing.
0: All right. Now, I've heard you talk about that. Of course, we're friends, and we've hashed that out, your intentional increase of three days, backing away from work like that. I mean, I know you and Gail have had a long-term marriage. You have five daughters and a growing number of grandchildren. So, you know, tell us a little bit more about how you're blending work and play today. And then I want to come back and revisit that, doing less and accomplishing more. But how are you blending work and play?
1: Yeah, so kind of my, my rule is that I take every evening off. So I shut down work here at the office at 6 p.m. I actually have automated lights in that very room where I'm standing right now that at 6 p.m., turn off. So I'm standing in the dark if I want to continue working. Uh, I don't work on the weekends. I take lots of vacation, lots of it with family. I just took my family to the, to the Turks and Caicos. We had a wonderful week of just relaxing and enjoying one another. And so to me, there, there's this symbiotic relationship between my personal life and my work life because they're so intertwined. You know, if I've got stress at work, it's going to bleed into my marriage, maybe bleed into my relationship with my kids and certainly impact my health. On the other hand, if I'm taking care of myself physically and I'm exerting an appropriate uh, amount of self-care, that's going to help me bring the energy and the focus that I need at work to truly drive the business results that I want. So it's a reciprocal relationship, and I, and I don't think you can neglect the one without eventually neglecting both.
0: All right. But now in the kind of work that we do today, I mean, I grew up where if you had hay to bale, you went out to the field and bailed the hay. When you were finished, you were finished. But today in this world of information, speaking, coaching, writing, it's so easy to carry it over. We have access to our phones 24 seven. It's so easy to blend over. So when you talk about that kind of blending of work and play, how do you, in those free days, keep yourself from still strategizing, planning, and doing things that really relate more to work than play?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. When I first started, it was really difficult. It's a little bit like me telling you, don't think of pink elephants. That's all you're going to think about. So if I say to myself, you know, I'm not going to think about work, I'm not going to think about work. I end up thinking about work. So what I found was that I've got to have a specific focus on those days, something positive that I'm doing that's not work. So it could be a hobby, it could be like this last weekend, we had a ton of end of the year family kind of stuff. You know, we went to a a, a dance recital, a reception, Dinner with my parents, dinner with a couple of the kids. So as long as I have a positive focus, something I can lean into and actually do that takes up that time, I'm good. And I and I love to read. I know you you love to read too, but one of the rules too is I don't read business books on the weekends. So if I'm reading, I'm reading history or biography or fiction. And that also gives my mind a chance to rest and rejuvenate.
0: Hmm. That's interesting. All right. Now, again, you and I do a particular kind of work that gives us some options there. But if somebody is involved in more traditional work, I mean, I grew up again on a farm where to get more accomplished, you put in more hours. A lot of people in our audience here are still in that kind of a model where they're working, they're being paid by the hour. If you want to accomplish more or make more, you put in more time. There's that element time is so connected with our level of productivity. You talk a lot in free to focus about accomplishing more by doing less. Is that option available for everybody?
1: Yeah, I think it is because at the end of the day for most businesses, it's not about putting in the time. If you're in a job where you're trading time for dollars, then I would encourage you as fast as you can to get into a job where you're being paid for the results and the results are not all created equal. And just let me give an example So my average client, we surveyed them, and they typically have 15 to-do items on their daily task list, 15 typically, but when they come to us. So if you take the Pareto principle that 20% of the effort drives 80% of the results, three of those tasks are going to be the ones that are going to make the difference. Three of them are going to drive the results. Three are going to be connected to their goals. Three are truly important. So what we do and what I encourage in the book is people to identify those three tasks at the beginning of the day. And then consider the day one, consider the, the the game one, if they complete those three tasks. If they get some of the other tasks done, great, but that's gravy. The average person does something completely different though. You know, they get up feeling overwhelmed because they know they can't possibly achieve all that's on their task list. They go to bed defeated, even if they accomplish half of it, but they're just playing a game they can't win. And so that's where I think we've got to kind of reinvent the way we do work. Otherwise, our lives are going to be sucked, in, sucked into work. And we're going to get the end of our days and look back with regret. And that's that's des- uh, definitely what I don't want is regret.
0: Now, one of the things that you talk about so much in Free to Focus is that idea of identifying priorities. I mean, in this digital economy that we live in, it's so easy to grab the phone first thing in the morning and we're inundated with whatever's coming through information but really inundated with intrusions and distractions how have you what are a couple of practices you've come up with to not be so distracted by those things that are so prevalent today
1: yeah you know that's a that's a challenge for all of us because we live in a distraction economy where we've got these multi-billion dollar companies uh, social media companies who basically are motivated their business model is built on the assumption that they're going to try to capture our attention repackage it and sell it to advertisers. So they want to keep us on their platforms as long as possible. And they're hijacking our biochemistry to do it with dopamine and so forth. So one of the things I do to make sure that I get the most important stuff done first is I got a very intentional morning ritual. Now, the truth is everybody has a morning ritual. It's either going to be good and it's going to serve your purposes or it's not going to be good. And so I learned this from the world of professional athletics where on game day or the day before game day, Professional athletes have a very specific ritual that sets them up to win. It's going to look different for everybody. It'll look different for me than it does for you, but I've got a very intentional morning ritual. So I'm not going to look at more. I'm not going to look at social media, email, Slack, any of that stuff that can hijack my attention until 9 a.m. in the morning. So I get up at 4:45, and so I've got a whole series of things. And, and Let me just hasten to say, like you, I'm in a unique uh, season of life. I'm an empty nester. I don't have kids at home, and this is not going to be possible as much time as I take for a person that has young kids, for example. But I've got four hours in the morning, a little over four hours, before I enter into that world where I have to be doing hand-to-hand combat with the digital distractions. And that's pretty much, you know, that that gets gives me an opportunity to get the really important stuff done.
0: Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah, and I I love that time as well. You know, we know that the old saying is the first hour is the rudder of the day. What we do in that first hour is so important in terms of directing, setting up our day. Now, so true. You identify the, the kind of excuses that people have, and certainly they're justifiable. But one of those being, well, you know, Mike, that sounds fine, but right now my circumstances won't allow that. You know, I'm in a season of life right now. It's just temporary, but I really can't do the kind of things you're talking about. What would you respond
1: well, I would say, first of all, there are seasons, you know, when we've got, uh, when we're busier than, than other times, we're launching a business or maybe we got newly married or we're building a house or finishing a college degree or something. But one of the things I've noticed is that it's it's very easy to go from that to convincing ourselves that we're constantly in a temporary situation. And I don't know how many times I've lied to my own wife, not knowingly, but said to her, honey, as soon as this business gets launched, then I'll be able to spend more time with you and the kids. Or honey, you know, as soon as I get through this promotion and get acclimated to the new work, you know, I'll be able to do that. Or as soon as I get this book written or whatever. And the problem is that if we're not careful, the temporary becomes permanent and it becomes a permanent lifestyle. And that's where it becomes damaging. So you got to look yourself in the mirror. And I think you got to do this in consultation with your spouse if you're married and say, look, let's not kid ourselves. If we're willing to do this and we're counting the cost, let's do it, but let's make sure that it has an end date so that it doesn't just go on forever.
0: You know, uh, Michael, you, you know that writing, uh, we tend to be pretty transparent about our own struggles in our writing. And I, and I really think I pulled that particular excuse out because I've been guilty of it so many times myself. <laughs> hey, this is just temporary. You know, as soon as I get this done, as soon as we get this finished, then it'll be different. I've well, done it. You know, <laughs> in in the middle of your book, the middle section, you talk about three things and I want to kind of just wrap into this three things we can do to get more control of our time. I love these. Eliminate, automate, and delegate. Give us just a couple of tips in each of those areas that'll help us, you know, find the time to breathe, play, connect while still accomplishing our best work.
1: Well, this is really the key to achieving more by doing less. And so I have that model in chapter two. And let me just quickly describe this it's called the freedom compass, but basically it helps you identify the things that you're passionate about And the things you're proficient are really good at. And the desire zone activities, and that's what I call it, the desire zone activities, are those activities where you ought to be spending the bulk of your time. That's just how God hardwired you. That's where you're going to see the highest leverage or the highest payoff for the investment of your time. And so everything else is a candidate to get rid of. And that's the secret to achieving more by doing less is getting rid of all those other things. The strategies eliminate, first of all. So there's just some stuff that doesn't need to be done. And one of the faults that I have with so many task management systems is sort of this exhortation that if something pops in your head, something to do, you need to put it on a list and then eventually get to it. I don't think that's the case at all. You know, the first thing that I ask whenever an idea pops into my head, is this in my desire zone? You know, am I the right guy to be doing it? Or should somebody else be doing it? Or could it be eliminated? Or could it be automated? So elimination is the first thing. There's sometimes meetings that we have set up at our companies, that maybe they serve their purpose at one time. But they've, you know, the the shelf life has expired and they need to be done away with. So just eliminating. And I talk about in that chapter, a fourfold strategy for saying no with grace. Then you've done some, you've done some major things in your company,
0: even events that you're known for where they hit that eliminate phase and you've moved on. I love that. How you purge and clean your business as you move forward instead of just hanging on like government programs. Well, we did it five years ago. (laughs) So let's just keep doing it.
1: Well, it's hard. I mean, you, you said in that meeting that I, the presentation I made to my team where I I told them all the stuff, we're going to retire. And it's always a little bit scary and people get emotionally connected to things, but you know, it's, it's kind of like buying new clothes until you clean out your closet. There's no room for the new stuff. And so in order to make room for what's next, and to really see the real growth, we have to prune. In fact, pruning is my word for this year. So uh, I've never done this before, but I picked a word for 2019. I said, it's going to be pruning. I announced it at that meeting uh, that you were at. And so we're just finding places that we can clip back so that we can use the resources and redeploy them on the things that really matter.
0: Awesome. Well, the next phase then is automate.
1: Yeah. So self-automation is something people don't normally think about when it comes to automation, but we already talked about the morning ritual but I also have a workday startup ritual, so I'm not checking email and Slack and social media all day. I have a workday shutdown ritual so I can leave my work at work and re-enter the sphere of the home and be fully present for the people that I love. And then I have an evening ritual where I set myself up for the best possible next day by getting to bed on time. I go to, uh, to bed at yeah, typically 8.45, so I get a full 8 hours sleep. But that, more than anything else, getting enough rest is critically important. Then of course, there's technological automation, there's process automation, but I talk about four different kinds of automation in that chapter.
0: You know expand on that a little bit because when you talk about automating we can very easily see that wow you're going to take the spontaneity out of life the freedom that we we strive to get and all of a sudden we're going to make ourselves just robots you know and we see people like mark zuckerberg who wears nothing but black t-shirts so he doesn't have to make a decision about what shirt to put on in the morning i mean where do we get that kind of uh, gentle balance between automating and still even room in our lives for the spontaneity we want
1: yeah, I, th- I think that our lives have to be a balance of spontaneity and automation, and we get to choose where we want to express our creativity. So to give you an example, when I first started podcasting, I did every aspect of podcasting from doing the show prep to recording it, to editing it, to posting it on the media server, to publicizing it, everything. Uh, I'm the kind of guy that I love inventing that the first time, but I get quickly bored running through the process. And I'll miss stuff, you know, because I'll try to get spontaneous where I don't need to get spontaneous. So part of automation, there's a a case of process automation is I went into Evernote and I recorded every step as a checklist so that I could use my creativity in some other way. I didn't need to be using it there. You know, that's, that's probably the case that Zuckerberg uses for, for clothing. I I personally like to express myself in what I wear, but seems to work for him.
0: It seems to work for him. Yeah. Well, that kind of sets up what you just described. The third area then in this, eliminate, automate, and then the third one is delegate. Once you identify that process like that, then it becomes easier to hand it off.
1: Yeah, it does. And I think that this is the thing that most entrepreneurs and leaders struggle with. Everybody affirms that delegation is important, but it becomes difficult when we actually try to do it. And we make typically one of three mistakes. First of all, we hesitate. So, you know, we just, we're reluctant to turn it over because we have these limiting beliefs that say things like, if I want to do it, have it done right, I've got to do it, what? Myself. Myself. Right? Or, uh, you know, sometimes we say, you know, it it takes longer to explain it than to just do it, so I'm just going to do it myself. Or people will say, I can't afford that right now, I guess I'll have to do it myself. If myself is the answer to each one of those questions, then you will not scale your business. You can't scale your business until you scale yourself. You can't grow your business until you grow yourself. So you got to get past that hesitation and be willing to take a deep breath and in spite of your fear, be able to delegate. So that's like the first mistake. The second mistake I find people make is they abdicate. So it's just kind of like they dump and run. They hand the assignment over with not a lot of direction and then they're disappointed, frustrated, frustrated that the delegate, that the the delegate could not read their mind. Well, here's the real, I mean, this took me a long time to wake up to. People cannot read my minds, you know, and for me to expect that they could read my minds is, is really not fair to them. So I've got to be very explicit, very concrete. I have a form in the book that I talk about that I, that I, I use to share with my delegates. So they know exactly what the expectation on the project is. Then the third mistake is they suffocate. So hesitate, uh, Uh, what was the second one I said? Abdicate Abdicate and suffocate. And so this is where people micromanage. And I tell you what, there are a few things I hate worse than being micromanaged. I once landed when I was in my thirties, the dream job of being an editor for a publishing company and say, it was the job that i had coveted. I'd moved over from marketing to get this job and I was so excited about it. The only problem was the second day on the job, my boss, who was the editor-in-chief came to me and he said, hey, I want you to keep a detailed every 15 minute log of what you do today. And we're going to discuss it every night. I, I lasted, it's amazing. I lasted three months in that job before I took another job that actually brought me to Nashville, Tennessee, but it just was suffocating. It killed me. So there's a better way to do it. And delegation is the secret to scaling and the secret to, to really achieving your dream as a business owner. But you got to learn to delegate. Wow.
0: Well, Michael, the book is beautifully done, free to focus, beautiful cover. I know you invest in a great amount of time researching, studying, getting content that's real, uh, not just stream of consciousness. It's beautifully done. We appreciate it so much and appreciate you taking the time to kind of unpack it here uh, with our audience. Thank you so much.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me on.
0: Well, there you go. I hope that's been encouraging to you and helpful in terms of getting control of your time so that you can focus. Again, it comes from Michael's brand new book, Michael Hyatt, Free to Focus. You can go to Free to Focus or just check on Amazon anywhere you want to buy your books to find that and get to your own process for how you can help yourself, stay on top, all these opportunities that we've got. That's what gets me in trouble. It's not the challenges as much as the opportunities. The opportunities are everywhere and to be able to decide what am I going to do? What am I going to pass on? What am I going to automate, delegate, eliminate? Those are important concepts. Well, let me know what you're doing to keep yourself on top of your workload. What are you doing to make your time effective so that you don't get bogged down in the, the details? know, bogged down in things that you should be able to delegate or hand off to somebody. Shoot your questions in to ask Dan at 48days.com. We'll be back next week for another episode of 48 Days Radio. Um, this is one of those that I don't do often, but when it's something as important as this, I like to add it to the content that we normally discuss here. Your questions. Thanks for being part of this community where we are. In fact, we know, we believe without a shadow of doubt, we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.